This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome to Security Matters, a CBS News Radio production. I'm Paul Violas, and today's episode is a Parents Alert program. For those of you joining us for the first time, a Parents Alert program is one that we focus primarily on information that needs to be brought to the forefront of all our parents and guardians out there. Also, of course, friends and family members, but specifically, this is going out to parents. Our subject today, the growing concern of teen suicide, and most importantly, the need to know the signs. We've got two incredible guests that are going to be joining us today, true leaders in the fight against teen suicide. But before introducing them, I want to provide you with some benchmarking information. I think it's it's really important for us to set the record straight on just what we're dealing with here in the United States. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 through 24 according to the CDC in 2017. They also also brought out the fact and set up another stat that said suicide is the second leading cause of death for college-age youth and ages through 12 through 18. I found this to be a fascinating statistic. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. Each day in our nation, there are an average of over 3,000 attempts by young people, grades 9 through 12. Just stop for a second. I don't know what you're doing right now, but just let that sink in. Each day in our nation, there's an average of over 3,000 attempts by young people, grades 9 through 12. If these percentages are are additionally applied to grades 7 through 8, the numbers would be much higher. Four out of five teens who attempt suicide have given clear warning signs. I'm going to repeat that before I introduce our first guest. Four out of five teens who attempt suicide have given clear warning signs. It is with that that we are so fortunate here at Security Matters to have our first guest talking about Maureen Underwood. Maureen is the clinical advisor for the Society for Prevention of Teen Suicide. She is a licensed clinical social worker, certified group psychotherapist, and a nationally recognized expert on youth suicide prevention, which focuses on schools and best practice programs that enhance overall student outcomes. Maureen has decades of experience in mental health and crisis intervention and has developed numerous programs and published extensively on these and other related topics. Maureen, thank you so very much for joining us here on, on Security Matters. 
Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate being here. Maureen, let's just dive right into this. Um, my first question to you is just how serious is teen suicide? Well, you know, you did a really good job, I think, in summarizing those statistics. And, you know, I think the seriousness of it is reflected by the fact that even one premature death of a child is a tragedy. But when we have so many kids who are consciously thinking about taking their lives, um, it really becomes a larger concern. And I think you may have known that in the last week or so, there was some data that came out about emergency departments saying that 43% of visits to the ED for suicidal thoughts or attempts were um, between children and the age of 5 and 12. That's just ages 5 and 12? 5 to 12? Yep. Yep. We're, you know, what we're seeing is there's just a decrease um, in the age. It used to be that suicide under the age of 10 was very, very rare, but now we're seeing it much more frequently. And, you know, I do a lot of work in schools around the country, and I don't know that I go to a single school where they don't tell me about a second grader or a third grader or sometimes a kindergartner who has attempted suicide. Now, Maureen, you're a licensed clinical social worker. That means that you have extensive, for all of us that don't know, extensive education and training and have to go for ongoing training to maintain that license. So as a true subject matter expert on this, let me ask you something. You you just said something that caught me. H is five through. Why would a five-year-old be thinking of suicide? I I mean, I got to ask it. I'm sure probably all our listeners know the answer to this, but I'm asking you selfishly because I can't fathom that. Well, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily that they're thinking about suicide per se, but they may be thinking about they don't want to be here anymore. Their life seems unbearable or intolerable. And especially kids who at that age who have some kind of emotional difficulty that makes it even harder for them to problem solve effectively. You know, running in front of a car may be easier than going home and having to face my father because I failed and I got in trouble in school today. Now. Um, and so, I guess you know, I think we have to broaden the way we think of it. I think the reason I'm asking that, and I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the age really to me is alarming, and I think that our listeners are going to find that alarming as well. And oftentimes I hear about this. I think back to when, you know, when I was, you know, young kid. I mean, I started playing pop Warner football when I was six. I mean, I'd look at my grandsons who I just absolutely adore, and they're six and eight, and then I hear these numbers. I know that all our parents out there are relating to that when you're saying that. Now, you've seen an awful lot, there's no question, but what was it that that happened in your career that made you focus on this particular subject? Well, you know, I started this in the 1980s, which was actually when schools first began to incorporate suicide prevention because the rate had gone up 300% from 1950 to 1980. So that's really when we began to think about youth suicide. And Initially, it was just part of my job. You know, I worked in a mental health center, and I got invited to a school to do a presentation, and that's how I started. But in my clinical practice, because I was doing work in school, I got referred a lot of people who were struggling with thoughts of suicide, both kids and adults, and a lot of families who had lost someone to suicide. And if I think about why I have continued in this field for so many years, it's because of how humbled I have been at people who struggle with this 
and really are looking for some help. And and I guess that journey is such a hard journey on either side, either when you're thinking about suicide or you're dealing with a loss by suicide. And I think if a person could prevent just one family or person from walking that walk, that's really pretty important. And I've really been lucky to be able to go out and do a lot of teaching based on all these years I've worked in the field and what I've learned from that. And so I've been able to share this with other people, and I keep thinking when I go out and do this work, if each person who listens could save just one person or family, that would be a whole lot of people you know, who wouldn't experience the tragedy of suicide. Well, that being said, then let's take advantage of having the, the gift here of being a part of the CBS News Radio program because – we are, you know, incredibly fortunate at this point to take your knowledge and broadcast it out over this incredibly powerful medium. That being said, let's talk about the warning signs. You've got everybody's attention right now, Maureen. Everyone is glued right now to their radio. They want to hear what you have to say. What are the warning signs? What are the things that parents, friends, neighbors, family need to see, should see? Well, you know, one of the things we've done um, in SPTS and, and the other work I've done is we've organized the warning signs under the word facts. F stands for feelings, A for actions, C changes, T threats or talk, and S situations. So let me go briefly through these and kind yes, of please. say what, some, what are some of the things you could say. The feelings we often see are feelings of hopelessness or, or worthlessness. Um, anxiety plays a big part um, in suicide, especially because of the impulsiveness that often comes from anxiety. And we know that when we feel kind of hopeless and yet we still feel anxious about trying to fix something, we can get desperate. And I think desperation is one of those feelings that's important to recognize. The actions can be risky behavior, um, aggressive behavior. Kids who used to be you know, pretty calm and not very irritable all of a sudden are really hard to get along with. Um, we also know that kids who are involved in bullying, either as a bully or the person being bullied, that's an action that can cause distress, those self-harm behaviors. And the other thing that's come up recently, obviously, are kids doing online searches for either suicide or for ways to harm themselves. Um, That's obviously new in about the last 10 years. Perhaps the category that's easiest for all of us because of the ups and downs of adolescence, which are normal, and sometimes it's hard to kind of figure out, is this change just something that's going to be here today or off tomorrow, or changes that last for a couple weeks. And these could be changes in behavior. Um, They could be changes in appearance, um, changes in social connections. You know, these are the kids who often spent hours getting ready for school who now go out of the door looking like they haven't slept in or or changed their clothes in three weeks. Um, we see kids who um, were had lots of friends and you know were engaged socially. All of a sudden, they're not interested. Now, it doesn't mean that their friends aren't interested in them. It's just they begin to withdraw and have the perception, perhaps, um, that they don't their friends don't like them or they're a burden to their friends or they can't trust their friends. We also know changes in sleeping. 
kids who can't sleep at all, kids who sleep too much, which is certainly something that you would see at home. The talks are the threats, um, maybe the hardest thing for us to wrap our minds around because we just don't want to think that children may want to die. But it can be simple as I just don't want to be here anymore or I can be very direct. I want to kill myself. And the challenge for all of us Um, especially as parents, is when we hear our kids say that, is to not try to make those feelings go away, to not say things like, oh, come on, you know, you'll feel better tomorrow. Oh, you make too much of it. You know, hey, you're going to get over this, you know, you'll forget about it in, in a month. It's to use the three magic words that I think we should use for almost all of our interactions with kids because they're the things that they don't expect us to say is that when a kid says, I really feel so terrible, I'm not sure I want to live, to say, tell me more. It's to get kids to talk about how they're feeling and not shut that door to conversation by trying to fix it or because we're so upset about it, we can't listen to it. And then the final S situations are really stressful situations that push kids over the edge. Like like example of what? Well, it could be, for example, losing a relationship that's really important. Um, It could be getting in trouble at home, at school, with the law. Uh, It could be some kind of humiliation in front of peers. And, you know, and I think one of the other things to pay attention to is that exposure um, to, you know, some sort of dangerous behavior like suicide or, or homicides by peers or role models, that that in very vulnerable kids can make them think about their own deaths. And so that's why when there's, you know, these events that get national attention, if you've got vulnerable kids, you need to ask them, you know, what do you think about what just happened in the news? It's really troubling to me. Tell me what your thoughts are. Um, so those are those. That's kind of a shorthand version, you know, of what some of those warning signs are. Oh. But it's when when you, as a parent, in your gut, know something's not right with your kid. That's when you know. Don't ever change that gut. Yeah. You know, I have to say, Maureen, I'm I'm actually taking notes as as you're as you're speaking because you, in a very short period of time, you you sent out such a you shared such a tremendous amount of, of information of valuable information. Uh, just a quick note to everybody listening. This information that ever, that Maureen just shared will be up um, on the Security Matters site once on CBS Audio slash podcast. So uh, in keeping with that, because I have to tell you, Maureen, this is very powerful. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm taking in what you're saying. All of our listeners are doing the same thing. And this is hitting home. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Maureen's going to share with us her message to parents and if you've seen this, what do you do? You're listening to Security Matters on the CBS News Network. We'll be right back. Professor Jean Twenge is a psychologist at San Diego State University. Teens uh, are much more likely now than they were just five years ago or seven years ago to say that they are anxious and depressed uh, and thinking about suicide. In a provocative new article for The Atlantic, Twangy makes a correlation between the popularity of smartphones and increased rates of suicide and depression among young people. Teens who use electronic devices more hours a day are more likely to be at risk for suicide. Twangy says the so-called smartphone generation is less likely to have face-to-face interaction with friends, which she says is crucial for mental health and building social skills. 
And now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas. And as I mentioned, we're speaking with Maureen Underwood, Clinical Advisor for the Society for Prevention of Teen Suicide, a licensed clinical social worker and certified group psychotherapist. She is a true subject matter expert in the fight against teen suicide. She was just sharing with us the warning signs of teen suicide. But now, Maureen, what I ask you is, if our listeners right now, if we've got a parent, grandparent, neighbor, friend, whatever, that is listening to what you just said about feelings, actions, changes, threats, and situations, and they recognize, okay, I think I have a problem. What do you do? So what's your message to parents if you see this? What should they do? Well, you know, first of all, I would I would certainly hope that parents, you know, who have kids who are struggling with this might see it. But I would even like parents who don't see this in their kids to pay attention, because even if it's not your child, it could be one of the, your friends, Very the true. friends of your children or a neighbor. So the first thing I want you to know is that asking about suicide cannot plant the idea in your child's head. Um, it isn't like brainwashing. It's not like if you say it, you know, are you thinking about maybe life isn't worth living? They're going to say, gee, no, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you say it, it what it does instead is it opens the door to conversation about a topic that may have been very, very secret and scary to them. The other thing I want parents to know is that talk is very different from action. So just because your child is talking about suicide doesn't mean that they're going to act on it, which is where prevention comes in. So if you have that conversation early and you can get them to talk about what they're thinking and really kind of get in there and get them some help, um, you may really do a great job in moving them away from that next step of, of action. You do want to take it seriously, and I think sometimes, as I said before, as parents or grandparents, we want to fix the problems our kids have. Right. We just don't want them to struggle. But this is where you just have to listen and really make sure you're understanding what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And then, you know, what do you do about it? Well, you know, it's always surprised me that um, all of us, uh, you know, if, if one of our children had a toothache, we would know what the dentist's phone number was. If a kid got the flu, you'd know your pediatrician's number. If they broke their leg, you'd know where to take them to the hospital. I don't believe most parents would know what to do if their child has a mental health problem. Well, I completely so agree. I, so proactively, rather than when you're there, you know, with your kid um, who's really in a crisis, you know, scout around to see what are the local mental health resources in your area. Um, there are lots of them. You can look in your phone book. You can look online. But you want to be able to know where to go just in case you need that and to know it's okay to ask for help. If you don't think it's okay to ask for help, your child isn't going to think it's okay to get some help, and that's going to cause a big problem. There's no you question. you got to be okay with it yourself. But, Maureen, one, one quick interjection there, and, and I completely agree with you because I am all about preemptive risk mitigation. There's no question about that. But people being what we are, I'm going to anticipate that most people won't preemptively look and they'll wait till something happens and then they start figuring out what they need to do. With that as, a, as just a straight question, if somebody's listening right now, they're listening to this, say, wait a second, I mean to do something here. I have a problem. Who should they call at that point? 
What are the resources the and call, they have available? Okay, the best call to make is to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and that number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, you'll see that number now in lots of news stories about suicide, publicized in lots of places. And what will happen when you call that number, it will route to a regional center in your area based on your area code. So they should be able to help you with the resources that are local to you. That's fantastic. Maureen, before we, before we conclude our interview, tell us a little bit about the Society for Prevention of Teen Suicide and how does someone get in touch with you directly if they have any questions? Um, well, the Society was founded um, in 2006 by two dads who had lost their teenage kids to suicide, and they were so disturbed that they knew nothing about suicide, they knew nothing about the risk, that they formed this organization to really share information and resources and create information and resources. For example, they were the first they were the ones to get New Jersey to be the first state in the country to pass legislation to have teachers take two hours of professional development training in suicide awareness. And because, of course, it was an unfunded mandate, they developed the training um, to make that happen, which is available free online at the SPTS website, which is www.sptsusa.org. There's also lots of other resources on there for parents, for kids, for educators. So if you go to that website and you have any questions, you can put them in there, too. Um, we'll take care of them usually within 24 hours. So I would just say it's a really good place to get lots of information. So people can go to uh, SPTS.org, did you say? SPTSUSA.org. USA.org. Okay, and we will have that. For everyone listening, we will have that. When you go to uh, CBS Audio slash podcast and go to Security Matters, we will have that information there. We will have Maureen's information there. And Maureen, while people are on the phone, do you have a phone number uh, that someone can get in touch with you if they wanted to, to reach out to you directly, or should they just go to the website? I think the website's probably the best. Um, okay, then I'm that's what we will do. can be detached from media. <laughs> okay, no problem. That's what we will do. We will make sure that we put that down there because it's a phenomenal resource. I'll add one thing to, to what Maureen said, and they have a 17-minute video titled Not My Kid, uh, What Every Parent Should Know About Youth Suicide. Uh, that's the best 17 minutes you're going to go through. That is something all parents, grandparents, hello, grandparents, grandparents, you need to watch that too. Seriously. Very, very important. Maureen, on behalf of everybody here at CBS, CBS Radio, um, and certainly the staff at Security Matters. We want to, one, thank you for taking the time to join us today and let you know that our prayers will continue to enfold you, that you will continue to do your work, all the great work, in helping countless amount of people. So on behalf of everybody, thanks so much, Maureen. I hope you join us again in the future. Oh, thank you so very much. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Security Matters on the CBS News Network. We'll be right back. The most common set of illnesses during childhood and adolescence are psychiatric disorders or mental health disorders. In fact, 17.1 million uh, young people in the United States, 18 or younger, will be uh, have a diagnosable mental health disorder. So clearly, adolescence is a risky time. And it also means that you're more likely to have depression or anxiety, and you're also more likely to be influenced by your peer group and what other people say so that you might do something foolish that you wouldn't do if you were a child 
or if you were an adult. There's a real difference between the brains of teenagers or adolescents and that of children or adults. But it's also a vulnerable time. You're more susceptible to impulsive behavior and you feel everything such mo- so much more intensely so that when you're hot, you're boiling. When you're cold, you're freezing. When you're distraught, you're completely overwhelmed with despair. And that's because your brain hasn't completely absolutely developed the prefrontal cortex the part of your brain that's in the front of your head which does strategy that tells you about cost benefit ratio that says wait let's think about the consequences that prefrontal cortex doesn't start communicating to the rest of the brain until we're 25 and that by the way is the time when suicide actually starts to drop at, for that age population and now back to security matters with paul violis Welcome back to Security Matters. Before we took our break, I was telling you that we had a very special guest joining us after the break, and that's an understatement. Very shortly, I'm going to be introducing a wonderful woman. Her name is Wendy Sefcik. I'll tell you a little bit about Wendy before she joins us. Um, Wendy and her husband, Steve, have a wonderful marriage, are blessed with, with three terrific sons, all of which grow up in a beautiful neighborhood in New Jersey, um, their share of problems, but like everybody does, mostly just a wonderful, terrific life. Everybody across the board. Wendy mentioned that when TJ, her son, one of her three sons, TJ, when he reached adolescence, they began to notice changes in his behavior. Wendy, thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we did start to notice changes in TJ's behavior, and unfortunately we didn't realize what we were seeing. So the, the one number one thing we noticed was this extreme irritability. TJ was a very happy, outgoing, really the life of our family, very funny. And he started to become increasingly irritable, talking back to his father and I, picking fights with his brothers, which was atypical, but we thought, okay, he's becoming a teenager. And we reacted to the behavior instead of really stepping back and questioning why that behavior, which was uncharacteristic, was happening. We also, at that point, um, found TJ drinking. He, he came home from a night out with friends. He was still young. He was just in eighth grade, and we caught him drinking. So we reacted to that. We punished him. This is unacceptable behavior. And um, we even brought him to a counselor because he was so young. And the counselor that met with him said, oh, this is just typical teenage behavior. He was experimenting. And one of the things that we've learned is a lot of these things that we think are typical teenage behavior can very, very often be red flags for teen depression and anxiety and even suicide risk. So that's the most important thing is to observe these changes and rather than react to start to question what maybe there's something deeper going on with my kid, which is clearly what was going on with TJ because unfortunately we lost TJ to suicide um, when he was 16 years old. So just a couple of years after we started noticing these behaviors. May God rest his soul, Wendy, um, and continue to to grant your, your family strength. But you say things escalated quickly. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so we we had those, you know, those things happening in eighth grade. And then freshman year, um, again, we just started seeing him really stepping out of the box. Uh, And then when he 
turned 16 his sophomore year. He had a breakup with his girlfriend. He was really becoming, seemed very, very angry and unhappy, but was still doing well in school. And the escalation was this, this very erratic, irritable behavior and anger, and then started um, not wanting to go to school. Uh, and while, while he continued to participate in sports, he would express that he didn't really enjoy playing anymore. And he used to be passionate. And again, we thought, well, let's find something else you want to do. And we didn't realize that that's another red flag for teen depression and suicide risk is um, becoming disinterested in activities that were previously enjoyed, extreme irritability. He found he wasn't able to sleep. Um, and then other times he just, all he wanted to do was sleep. These are all um, warning signs that something else might be going on with your teen. Now, and by the time, go ahead. No, I'm please sorry. go ahead, Wendy. I'm sorry. By the time we started to put all these pieces together and we did get him help and he was diagnosed with depression, we still at that time didn't realize that suicide was a, poss a possible risk um, because it was outside of anything our family had ever dealt with in the past. And we thought it was just kids, a kid from a family like ours wouldn't die by suicide. And what we've learned since losing TJ is we are losing teens every single day. Um, from good families, from good homes that have what you would think of it as support because we're not seeing that they are struggling silently inside and they don't know how to ask for help, regardless of how intelligent they are. Because as a society, we are not giving people permission to talk about how they're feeling inside and to ask for help. We have to make it easier for people to reach out. And I agree with you 100%. I have, per, on a personal level, lived through multiple cases of suicide, um, both personally and professionally. And my heart definitely goes out to you and, and Steve and the boys. There's no question about that. But one of the things that I find is that when people go through this, they, they ask themselves a lot of questions. And reading up on, on all the wonderful things that, that you and Steve have and continue to do, I noticed you asked yourself two questions, Wendy. One, you said, how could a child you cherished and loved feel so much pain that he could make a decision to take his own life? And the other question you asked was, how could we have failed our son to the point that he could do this? Is it a fair statement, Wendy, that those two questions are asked by parents with great frequency? Absolutely. How could you not ask those questions? And one thing, I know that I'm never going to get all the answers that I want, but one thing I do know is TJ could not have been more loved and more cherished. But does that mean I was perfect and I didn't make mistakes? I made mistakes. And the mistakes I made were because I wasn't aware. I didn't have the understanding. And while I was always quick to take care of every nuance in my children's physical health, I didn't realize how important it was that I do the same due diligence with their mental health, that it isn't something that necessarily takes care of itself, that we have to do everything from the time that they're babies to reinforce how important the social and emotional wellness of our children is. And they feel what they feel, whether it makes sense to us or not. People who struggle with anxiety and depression 
they feel what they feel. It may not make any sense to people looking out from the outside. TJ is a kid who seemed to have everything in his life, but he still had these feelings. And we have to understand that we need to deal with those feelings when they exist. And and they can start very, very young. And as a result of this, so many people, so many parents, uh, well, all the parents, have a lifetime of difficulty in dealing with this. It's a work in progress. But yet you and Steve uh, and the boys started remembering TJ, a story of teen depression, lessons, and hope. And since its inception, Wendy and Steve have presented to over 30,000 students, parents, educators, mental health professionals. The program weaves their story, their family story, in with red flags of teen depression and suicide risk. It provides guidance of what to do when you or someone you care about may be struggling. This world lost a tremendous soul in TJ. But his name and your message will live far past all of us because of the great work that you and and your family do in Wendy. Um, My last question to you is, as we close, what's your message to parents? My message is to love your kids and to know your kids and to accept your kids for who they are, not who maybe we dream that they are going to be, but to let them be who they are and to ask questions and to release any fear that you may be harboring with regard to mental health issues. Understand what your family history is with regard to mental health issues. We know that one in five people will struggle with some type of a mental health issue in any given year. So every one of us is most likely going to be impacted. So my message to parents is to not be afraid, to open your minds and your hearts, to understand and to know that that kid who starts to act out is maybe not being a rebellious teenager, but that may be how they're manifesting their pain because that is one thing that I learned through TJ is unfortunately very often a sad kid may not act sad. They may act angry. So we need to understand the nuances of what mental health disorders can look like in our young people and to act on it. And while suicide may seem a scary topic to talk about, parents need to understand that these are conversations you can and should have with your children. It will not increase the risk of suicide. In fact, talking to your kids about this topic can really help save lives and to stop kids from making a decision because they're comfortable enough to talk to their parents and the trusted adults within their environment about what may be going on inside of their minds. That's invaluable information. Wendy Sefcik, I can't thank you enough. And continued success with uh, growing, remembering TJ, a story of teen depression, lessons and hope, and our very best to you and the family. Wendy, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Security Matters on CBS News Radio. I think we should be very clear that you can't convince someone who isn't suicidal to become suicidal. But when you're suicidal, we have plenty of evidence that it is not a fixed feeling, that we know from people who have attempted suicide and survive that they wish they didn't do it. We have a lot of evidence by the fact that very often people attempt several times before they commit suicide that there's a gray zone 
and that having the right person, the right conversation, the right mental health professional, the right support from the people who love you can change the trajectory of that attempted suicide. And now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. You were just listening to Wendy Sefcik, uh, the mom of TJ, who unfortunately took his own life on December 1st, 2010. And since then, Wendy and her husband, Steve, have formed a tremendous program, Remembering TJ, uh, providing information to help parents and family members prevent this from happening. As we close today, a very sobering subject, but one that we need to make sure we keep our arms around. Um, a couple of things that, that, and all of this will be, you can go to CBS Audio slash podcasts and pick up at Security Matters, you can pick up the information that Wendy shared with the FACTS acronym, feelings, actions, changes, threats, situations, the things we need to look out for. Um, we'll have information off of uh, Wendy's, Wendy Sefcik's T- Remembering TJ website, which provides incredible amounts of information to parents that are in need. Remember, National Suicide Hotline, 800-273-8255. Um, and one of the things that stayed with me through the program is this. Talking is good. Tell me more. Remember those. Don't hesitate to talk about this because it could actually save lives. And I'm sure that it will. So uh, on behalf of everybody here at Security Matters, remember you've been listening to Security Matters, a CBS News radio production. For more podcasts from CBS, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcast. Have a great week. Be safe. Be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.